All right, so we, this is the, our third week on this uh, profile in doubting, uh, in people who are doubting. And my intent in these, uh, in, in these character studies, if you will, is not to, uh, not to highlight their shortcomings or their sin or their failing, uh, but it's to normalize doubt, to say that even these heroes that we hold up in the Bible, they had their moments, they had their doubts, um, to reassure us that uh, all of us doubters that doubt doesn't disqualify us from doing great things in God's kingdom. So we looked at Thomas's disillusionment a couple weeks ago uh, and how he misunderstood God's plan, and that's where his doubt came from. Last week, we looked at Peter and uh, how he got uh, distracted from what true worship was and, and what true faith and what, was, what he should put his faith in, and that was the source of his doubt and, uh, and fear. Today, we're going to look at Abraham. You know, Father Abraham, many sons, right? Eventually had many sons. Uh, you know, Abraham is the father of the three major world religions. Ju- Judaism, obviously, um, count Abraham as the beginning of their faith. Uh, Christianity from, uh, from Judaism. And then um, Islam, all all lay claim to Abraham as the founder of their faith. I mean, Abraham literally changed the world. And so did his choices. And we'll talk about that with Ishmael, how uh, his impatience and his doubt uh, originated with uh, God's delay of those promises and fulfilling that promise. So a, uh, a man showed up at the door, toolbox in hand, rang the doorbell and said, good morning, ma'am, I'm the plumber, I'm here to fix the pipe. And the woman was confused and answered the door and said, uh, I, I didn't call a plumber. And he says, you didn't? Aren't you Mrs. Foster? She goes, no, she moved away a year ago. And he's like, how do you like that? They call for a plumber, say it's an emergency, then they move. <laughs> Sometimes we have an emergency and we call on God and he doesn't show up or we feel like he doesn't show up. And, uh, and we move on or whatever. Maybe it wasn't that big an emergency. Maybe God was like, hey, hey, let, it, let it play out as it needed to. And we learned a lesson. You know, we, I think, can resonate with David in Psalm 69 where he says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there's no foothold. I've come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. In verse 3, I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim. With waiting for the Lord. Sometimes our eyes grow dim waiting for the Lord. Sometimes He takes a long time to give us that thing that we need. We truly do need, not just want. So, our first slide here why does God delay to fulfill His promises? And this is not intended to be a, a I believe button. God does everything for His glory. His intent and purpose in everything that he does is to bring glory for himself. And that's not egotistical. That's not prideful. God is the most worthy thing in the universe. And when he brings glory to himself, he draws men to himself. God uses delay for his glory to teach us, to draw us closer to him, to help us to trust him more fully. So God allows delays for his glory to teach us more about him. So our, our first point this morning, we're going to be in Genesis 
12 to Genesis chapter 22. That's 11 chapters, so hold on. No, it's it's a lot of material, but I want to talk about Abraham and who he was and the the reasons that he made his decisions. So uh, beginning at the beginning, Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, beginning verse 1, says, Now the Lord said to Abram, and, and I will use that interchangeably, just mis- I'll make a mistake, but his name is Abram at this point. His name has not been changed to Abraham yet. But Abram, Lord called Abraham, he said, said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So, When God delays in our lives, we must trust him by submitting our agendas to him. Abram was 75 years old. You know, maybe maybe he was looking for another career. Doesn't say that. You know, may have been retired, but we don't necessarily know that he was independently wealthy and bored and, you know, asking God where next. But God showed up in Abram's life at 75 years old and said, leave everything you know. Your home that you've been in for years, your, all your relations, everything you know, your, your means of supporting yourself, and go. Don't go, just go. I'm not, he didn't tell him where, why, he told him where, but not why, not when, just go, and Abram did. He put aside his own plans um, for the promise of blessings. God promised him blessings of prosperity and fame if he obeyed. God said, if you obey, then I will multiply you, I will bless you, and I will make you into a nation. I will make you famous. Um, and Not so that Abram would have those things, but it says, I will, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make you, your name great so that you will be a blessing. Not so that you will be happy, not so that you will be comfortable, but so that you will be a blessing. And as I said, Abram, cited as the founder of the major world religions, a blessing to many people in in more ways than just that. Um, One of the ways that Abram is a blessing is an example. He shows us what it means to worship God, what it means to obey God. Um, In verse 8 of chapter 12, as well as verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then verse 8, then he moved on and pitched his tent in Bethel uh, with Bethel on the uh, west and Ai on the east, and he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram showed us what it means to worship. When God blesses us, when God shows up, when God intervenes in our lives, we we should respond with worship. He built these altars. And um, in Genesis 13... Next chapter, verse 4, uh, he went back to one of those altars and called on the name of the Lord. Uh, he, he asked God for guidance. 
So he showed us how to, what it is to worship, how to worship, that we should worship. This is the first time God has shown up in the scene, uh, shown up on the scene as, you know, a religious figure. You know, he's shown up, you know, he's shown himself to a couple of people, but Abram is beginning to, he's beginning the worship of God in a formalized sort of way instead of just kind of having an abstract idea that there's a God that we should, should know about. Um, Abram also demonstrated in chapter 14 after he defeated the, uh, the kings, um, the five kings, or four kings rather, um, he showed us the tithe of giving to God of the abundance of what he has blessed us with. This is not a sermon on tithing, but Abram gave us those examples. He was a blessing to us in showing us how to live our lives in faith and obedience. So, but there was a delay in fulfilling that promise. Even though Abram did the right thing, he worshiped God, he honored God, God didn't immediately give him this promised child, this nation. And not specifically a child was promised, but I will make you a great nation. That implies that there will be children involved. Um, but God's timing is always right. Abram was 75 when God said, I'm going to give you a child. That's a little crazy. Um, he was called to leave his country and kindred um, to go somewhere else. God gave him as much information as he could handle or as he needed. Sure, it would have been great to have an agenda, you know, with the, you know, maybe a, a map drawn out, you know, maybe Google Maps, um, kind of here, this is going to take you this long, and here's a gas stop there, and uh, that's nice to have. But God didn't give that to Abram. He gave him all the information that he needed, and that was go, and I will bless you. Oftentimes, God's commands and promises aren't fully explained. We're not thoroughly told what that will involve. Um, probably, it's going to involve some kind of sacrifice or some kind of difficulty. You know, he, like I said, he, he just said, go. Not where? How will I make ends meet? What's going to meet me there? What's the trip there going to look like? Uh, that's the, the sense that we have in our ministry of, uh, on, on Curios is our website, wherever the wind blows. Wherever God, wherever the Spirit leads us is where we're going to go. And that's difficult to explain to people because the traditional missions model is where are you going, how long are you going to be there, what exactly are you going to do, and I will endorse that, you know, those things. Well, we don't know. We're going somewhere, and we don't know what we're going to do. We're going to help. And, and that's not such a difficult concept for individuals to get, but missions agencies have models, and we don't fit models. Um, this call of Abram didn't fit a model. God just said go, and Abram went. It can be, it can be a test of our faith. Uh, it, it's not, and, and when I say test, it's not a pass-fail test. There's no grade. It is proving, demonstrating the faithfulness and trustworthiness of God. The timing, you know, God's timing is right. The, um, we don't understand um, what that promise looks like, what obedience looks like. In Abram's case, after, you know, spoiler alert, he does get a child. Uh, after he gets Isaac, I hope that's not a spoiler. Uh, um, after he gets Isaac, he's told to sacrifice Isaac. I'm sure that was not on Abram's agenda. 
is to sacrifice this promise. Um, doesn't make sense. Do the math. One minus one is zero. Uh, that's not a great nation. But God calls us to obedience and faithfulness with the information that he gives us. You know, if, we, if you were trekking through a jungle and you come across, you know, we've all seen like Indiana Jones, a rickety rope bridge, right? A couple of boards broken, hanging, whatever. You're not necessarily going to be comfortable walking across that bridge. So what do you do? You send the fattest guy first, right? <laughs> if he can cross the bridge, the rest of us will probably be good. You can trust it after you've tested it. Um, and that's what God does for us. He tests our, our faith and shows us that he is big enough. We can, we can put our whole weight on him and not worry about it, everything falling out from underneath us. I, you know, I feel that, that God has done this in my life. For instance, when traveling, or, you know, overseas deployments, um, you know, th- there are guys, you know, chaplains who throw, away, throw around their weight. You know, I'm the chaplain or I'm a commander or whatever. You have to get me on this, on this helicopter. You have, to get, you have to set up this convoy for me. You have to do this because, you know, this is important. And, and they, make a, they make a fuss of things. I was a little, I didn't do that unless it was absolutely necessary that, okay, there's somebody out there specifically who needs me and, you know, I've got this, this AMCROSS message that I've got to deliver. We've got to make this happen. I learned, and, and thankfully not the hard way, that God's in control of those kinds of things. You know, I'm not going to force myself onto an aircraft that God doesn't want me to be on. I'm not going to put myself in a place where God doesn't want me. I don't doubt that he will take care of me, but I also don't doubt that if I'm in the wrong place, he's going to let me know. So trusting God, God works in those delays. Sometimes it means we're not, or even that whole convoy is not somewhere that it shouldn't have been at the time that it shouldn't have been because he delayed us. So God, when God delays, we need to put, put aside our agenda and figure out what his agenda is. Or at least just obey. So the second point, when God delays, we have to trust him to accomplish his will through us by his power, not by our power. God doesn't need our help. Um, as, as important as we th- might think we are, he does not need us to, to help him out. He invites us to participate in what he's doing, and that way we can be a blessing to others. We can... We can be on board with what God's doing, and that's pretty awesome when God does an amazing thing through your obedience, but he doesn't need us to do it. He chooses, just like sharing the gospel, God could think and everyone on the earth would be saved. God could just think the thought, but he chooses to use us to share the good news, to tell the world about who Christ is and what he's done for us. He doesn't need us. But he, and he allows us to participate. God chose Abram long before he had done anything. In this call of Abram, it doesn't say God looked down and saw how faithful and how amazing and how, you know, how good a person Abram was and said, I'm going to go help this guy out. It just says God called Abraham. He went to Abram and, uh, and just bestowed this blessing on him. In Romans, oops, 
in Romans 4, it says, What should we say was gained by Abram, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abram was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abram believe, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And the one who does not work, but believes in him who justified the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So Abram didn't do anything to earn God's favor, to get God's blessing. This wasn't, a, this wasn't his due wages for his good works. This was God saying, I'm going to bless you because that's who I am, not who you are. That makes, you know, that, that makes me immediately think of the next chapter, Romans chapter 5, that said God shows his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. We don't have to get our lives straight. We don't have to get our ducks in a row. My ducks are all over the place even still. We don't have to get everything together. We don't have to be worthy of salvation before we can seek God for salvation. It's not who we are, it's who he is. God doesn't need our help. So back to Genesis in Abraham. All right, again, my, my electronics. So Genesis chapter 16, let me go there. We see what happens when we help God. And of course, this is kind of the focus of Abram's uh, impatience, uh, Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had, a fe- she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant that it, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. So here we are. We've got this promise that God's going to do something amazing, and he hasn't done it yet. So Sarai thinks, okay, maybe it's my fault. Uh, She says, God hasn't given me a child yet. And that was cultural. In the culture, they, you know, they believed that if there was infertility, if there was barrenness, it was physiologically or spiritually the woman's fault. That God would open and close the wound by his, by his hand, by his blessing or not. So Sarai was, was, had some insecurity about her identity. I mean, God made women to bear children as their purpose. And when you can't do that, what's your identity? So Sarai is struggling with this barrenness, um, you know, culturally a sign of God's curse on her. You know, I'm, I'm holding my husband back. He's not able to have children. God can't do this promise, can't fulfill this promise because of me. You know, she's, she's operating out of this insecurity, the sense of, of God not approving of her. And it says that Abram Listen to the voice of his wife. Generally, that's a good thing. Guys, listen to your wives. Um, they, they think differently than we do. They see things that we don't. 
they have a, a level of, of comprehension and analysis that we just can't even, we can't even touch. You know, God said it's not good for a man to be alone, and he gave him a helper, suitable. God knows what he's doing. He gives us our wives. He gives them wisdom, and they have a voice, and they are valuable. But in this case, Abram listened to the voice of his wife. Um, and this is similar the same phrase used when Adam listened to the voice of Eve. Um, it's the same phrase, and it highlights that, that weakness, that weak faith. Um, but guys, we need to be students of our wives. Just because they are godly women doesn't mean they are always in the right place. Sarai was speaking from a place of insecurity, a place of fear. What she needed was not a, okay, whatever, from Abram. She needed Abram to speak peace and confidence and hope and, and uh, security into her life. Security is a, is a deep and significant need for women. Women will stay with abusive husbands or abusive men for the security of it. Certainly, decades ago, even today, it's hard for a woman to make it on her own, especially if she's got children. I, I you know, will stay with this man who is doing me wrong just because it gives me a place to stay and food on the table, uh, and, and I will sacrifice that as a mother and as a, uh, as a, as a you know, provider for my children. That's what my mother did, a string of abusive men just because she had three kids and she didn't know how she was going to take care of them. Um, she was operating out of that sense of insecurity and, uh, and needed a good provider. So men, again, as, as spiritual leaders, knowing what's going on underneath the surface, being a student of our wives and knowing uh, when they're afraid and acknowledging that fear, not dismissing it because there's nothing to be afraid of, in our minds, but accepting the fact that there is fear, and where's that coming from, and how can I help my wife with that fear? We're called as men to be spiritual leaders, and that's one of our jobs. We talked yesterday at Stepping Up about courage and what it means to be courageous, and uh, as I thought about it, um, one of the things, you know, of course, we think about these these heroic things, you know, that happen in, in times of war and, and such, um, but one of the things it takes as a man to be courageous, as I thought about this, was being present, being there, be, having a, an opinion, and being, being present, being engaged. Abram, at this point, was not engaged. He, he, he literally did the, whatever you say, dear, sometimes that's Okay. But in this case, that's not what she needed. So, you know, here's Abram, this 85-year-old man, offered a, a young lady to, uh, to have a child with. You know, I don't, he may have not been thinking clearly. But there's no indication that as a spiritual leader, Abram took this matter to God and said, God, is this what you want? Again, culturally, it was perfectly fine. 
That's what they did in the culture. If a woman was barren, she could offer her handmaiden. The child that was born would be considered the offspring of the, uh, of the wife. Not a cultural problem, but not necessarily the way God wanted this to go down. And the promise that God had given Abram was not, Sarai was not mentioned in the, in the initial promise. I will make you a great nation. I'm not, it didn't say, I'm going to make Sarai the mother of this great nation. So, again, that insecurity. So, of course, you know the story. Uh, Hagar has a child, Ishmael. Uh, there's a falling out between Hagar and Sarai, a little contempt there. Um, and uh, there are consequences for Abram's poor choice, for his lack of leadership. Uh, but God shows up immediately after that in chapter 17, beginning of verse 15. says, God said to Abram, Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be your wife. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations, kings of people. Kings of people shall come from her, specifically Sarah is going to have children. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to him, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael... I've heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. God's promises are still valid. Even when we step outside of his perfect will, his will is still there. It doesn't, we'll talk a little bit more, but it doesn't derail God's plan when we don't do exactly what he wants us to do. It's an opportunity to learn, to grow, to trust. Abram and Sarah didn't trust God as much as they should have at this point. So they said, let's, let's take care of this ourselves. And then he goes and says, God bless my mess. You know, but how about Ishmael? I've already got him. God's like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I recognize that. And I'm not going to discard Ishmael. Ishmael will become a great nation. The Arabs became Ishmael. Ishmael became the Arab nations. And we see the consequences of that even today. Next point. When God delays, we have to trust in him and not in the consequences. I'm sorry, not in the circumstances. As I said already, God's priority, his purpose, and everything he does is his glory. These long delay, this long delay of a, a 90-year-old woman and a 100-year-old man having a child is an, is an opportunity or is a, a demonstration that this cannot be natural. This cannot be an accident. It's kind of, it can't be a coincidence. God worked a miracle to answer those prayers. There's no doubt. There's no question. This is a miracle of God unheard of. You know, the miracle of childbirth is a, is, it's a very real miracle 
It is amazing that it ever happens in the first place, that conception happens. The whole process of, of creating a human being inside another human being, that whole process is amazing. Doesn't mean it's miraculous. The, the fact that it happens often, as we're all evidence, doesn't mean it's not uh, amazing. But it's even more amazing when, uh, or unusual, if a great-grandmother has a child. Especially if they have a promise from God to go with that birth. God said, I will have a child at 90 years old. So God is glorified by the delay. It wouldn't have been a miracle if they'd been 25 years old, newly married. It's still a miracle. It wouldn't have been as amazing and glorifying to God. It's still a gift. It's still an amazing gift, but we don't read stories of people having babies when they're young. This is an amazing miracle, glorifying to God. The, uh, the, the tagline of Desiring God Ministries, John Piper's ministry is, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God's promises are for our holiness, not our happiness. This idea of prosperity gospel is a very Western invention We've, uh, we've come up with it. You know, blessings can be financial. Nothing wrong with God blessing us financially. But they don't have to be. Excuse me. God's blessings are, they make sense later maybe. You know, there, there are millions of Christians who are blessed by God, who live below, below the poverty line. It's not necessarily a sign of God's curse, as it wasn't in, in Sarah that she was barren. Not having wealth is not a sign that, of God's disfavor. It makes sense later when, when we see God's working in our lives that, you know, maybe, it, sure, it'd be great if I won the lottery. I'd have to play the lottery first, but if I won a million dollars, if I got a check for $10 million in the mail, that would be awesome. Thank you. I would, I would praise the Lord, and I'd tithe on it. <laughs> Maybe a little more, even. Who knows? Yeah, got so much. But that would be, that would be a great blessing. Um, but it's not the only blessing. It's not the only way that God blesses us. And sometimes our blessings don't make sense in the moment. You know, Gary, you wouldn't call cancer a blessing. Maybe a year ago you wouldn't have. Maybe today it's a blessing. You know, it's given you something that you had forgotten that you had. Um, the, the things that are difficult in our lives, maybe God working in our lives. And it doesn't make sense maybe right now. There's a, there's a scene in the Pilgrim's Progress where a pilgrim is shown a tapestry. And it's just a bunch of strings and it doesn't, you know, it's, eh, okay, interesting. But then he's shown the other side, the other side of the tapestry. And it's a beautiful image. What we see now are these strings that don't necessarily make sense. But when we are shown on the other side this beautiful picture that God is painting in our lives, we, don't make sense, we can't make sense of it now, but in time, it'll all make sense. In the moment, there can be frustration, fear, worry, and insecurity. Abram's decision to have this child was made in, in a moment uh, out of a sense of insecurity, focusing on his unworthiness, on our unworthiness and our inability 
We lose sight of God's worthiness and God's ability. Abraham, Abram was insecure. We see, uh, for the sake of time, we're not going to read it, but I'll, I'll remind you of the stories. Genesis chapter 12, immediately after the promise, verses 10 through 20, Abram goes to Egypt with Sarai, his wife, and he lies and says, tell them you're my sister because I'm afraid of what they'll do to me because of how beautiful you are. Um, same, same general thing happens in Genesis chapter 20. He didn't trust God to protect him. You know, it, it didn't make sense in his mind that if God has promised, me a, promised to make me a great nation, that he will protect me until I become a great nation. He's saying, well, they're going to kill me because of my beautiful wife. So lie, he acted immorally. Um, it's a half lie. Sarai was his father's daughter, not his mother's daughter. So she was his half-sister, um, but again, it, that, that half-lie was rooted out of fear that God wasn't truly going to be able to protect him. So um, again, God doesn't need our help, but Abram took matters into his own hand to protect his family. He thought he was doing the right thing. I've got to protect this promise. God has given me this promise, and I've got to do what I can to make sure it happens. And that means I've got to lie about this situation. But we, we see in, in Genesis 12, 17, that God protected him, and not only protected him, but prospered him. He, he basically walked away from Egypt a rich man because the, the king gave him a bunch of land, a bunch of uh, livestock and, and servants and said, please go. I don't want this. I don't want you here. I don't want your curses on me. And in chapter 20, Abram said he did it because um, verse 11 says, they have no respect for God. They don't, they don't respect God, and I don't really trust God, so I'm going to lie. So Abraham was acting out of insecurity and fear and doubt. This week we had an opportunity, Brandy and I uh, registered for a, uh, a missions conference in North Carolina. And we, we found, it's at Ridgecrest, uh, the conference center uh, in Asheville, I think, right? And they, they offer these pastor retreats. You might want to know about this, but $50 a night for, for the room, up to four people per room. And, and uh, the conference at the same place was charging $110 a night per room for a couple. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I'm not real good at math. But I know that's a little more than double. And I want to be a good steward of the support uh, that this church and others are, are giving us. So I said, I will register as a commuter couple for, was, it was uh, $300 less, um, something like that. And, and then we'll get the, the pastor rate, the pastor retreat rate, and save, save a bunch of money. And then we get the confirmation that says, cannot be used in conjunction with any conferences. So I'm thinking, okay, they don't have to know. We're getting there early. We'll leave after. They don't have to know we're there for the conference. Or we could just crash the conference, save even more money. And, you know, of course, the Holy Spirit's convicting me. And 
So I call them and say, here's the deal. I'm, let me be honest with you. I just registered for this room. I'm going to this conference. This is what it says. And they're like, sorry. Okay. Now what? I didn't give them my name or anything. So they weren't, didn't flag anything. Didn't know yet. So we, we had looked at going a day early and staying a day late so we could have, you know, Brandy and I could have some time. Kids will be with her parents, some time to focus and, and, and do some strategic planning and, and other things. Um, and, uh, and so we were, having, we were looking at $50 on the, the front end and $50 on the back end. Uh, and the price difference, I was like, okay, really? We're talking $50. I'm going to sell my integrity for $50. How small is my God? Um, so we decided to, to do it the right way. You know, this is Abraham saying, I don't, I've got to help God in this matter. I've got to, you know, I've got to help save a couple of bucks for God or, you know, protect my family because God, God needs my help. Trusting God, uh, which is, uh, brings us to our fourth point, uh, that when God delays, we have to trust him by doing right even if it doesn't meet our goals or make sense. Look in Genesis chapter 22. It says, After these things, God tested Abraham, and he said, and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Okay, that's a big test. I finally have, God has finally given me the, the fulfillment of this promise, and now he wants him back. What did I do wrong? Did I, did I do something to, to lose this blessing? Um, but Abram obeys. He does the right thing. Again, you know the story. Takes him up to the mountaintop, binds Isaac, puts him on the, on the altar to sacrifice him, and God says, stop. There's a lamb right there. I just wanted to make sure that you were not holding on to something and worshiping that thing more than you're worshiping me. See, God has a covenant with us. And and. The covenant that God made with Abraham, if you remember the story, uh, Abraham makes the sacrifices. He, he gets the animals and he lays them all out and makes the, sets the sacrifice up. And he's waiting for God to show up to make this covenant. And uh, one of the aspects, one of the things we do with a covenant, um, one of the reasons that when we have a wedding, we have husband, or, uh, the groom's family and the bride's family on separate sides and an aisle down the middle is because it's a covenant. There's a sacrifice there's, that's made, and then the, the two parties in the covenant walk between the sacrifice to, to symbolize their unity in this, in this deal, this agreement that they're making, and, uh, and that's part of the covenant. That seals the covenant. Well, if you remember the story of Abraham and the covenant, he fell asleep, and God walked through the sacrifice. God kept the covenant. Abram, it, it's not... It, contingent on Abram's obedience. It's not contingent on Abram doing the, be- the right thing. God is always going to keep the covenant, even if we fail to. It's an agreement between two parties. There's expectations on both sides. God expects us to be obedient, but 
in a contract or in a, in a covenant, if one party doesn't keep their part, you can be excused from your part. Not so with God. God keeps his covenant in spite of our unfaithfulness. God made a covenant with Abram. God expects our obedience and rewards it. Abram obeyed God. Abraham obeyed God. He believed God, and the Bible tells us that it was counted to, credited to him as righteousness. I mean, look at Hebrews chapter 11. Flip way to the, way to the right. Hebrews chapter 11. Familiar verses, uh, verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Skip down to verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he, go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he's going. By faith, he went to live in the land of the prom, of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she, was con- she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And then down to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. God's faithful, even when we're not. God fulfills his promises. Ishmael, the result of Abraham's sin, his failure to trust God, did not derail God's plan. Put a little hitch in there. Certainly there's some conflict between the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac, as there was even in the beginning of their lives. But God's plan is still valid. It's not derailed. Doesn't mean that if we don't obey and if, we're, if, we, and if we sin, that there won't be discipline. There won't be consequences. There will be. That's how we learn. We learn not to do that again. We learn that when we step outside of God's will, of God's plan, we can never be outside of God's will, but we step outside of God's plan for us, that he's going to get us back on track but we'll have to deal with the consequences of those choices. And the amazing thing that God does is he takes those, those results of our sin and he turns them into blessings. He takes our, the consequences of our poor choices and uses them to bless others. So these stories like Abraham and Thomas and Peter and, uh, and next week um, Moses are meant to give hope to anybody who's prayed um, years and years and years without receiving an answer. Give us hope. Even though Abraham's poor choice caused him, uh, even though Abraham's doubt caused him to make a poor choice, um, that decision, which had certainly far-reaching and, as I said, world-changing 
consequences was not held against him. God doesn't accuse Abraham. Matter of fact, I, I, I love this. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 15 says, And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. God sees Abraham as having patiently awaited. He doesn't say, there's no, Abraham's in the, in the, the faith hall of fame and there's no asterisk next to his name. He is faithful. He believed. He trusted God. No, except for that one time. And that's the way God sees us. You know, by faith, Abraham obeyed. I came across this phrase, you know, turning our what ifs, the next slide, turning our what ifs into even ifs. Some of us are controlled by fear and doubt and, and concern for the future, and, and we, we have this what if this happens, and what if that happens, and what if this thing happens, and what if it goes bad, and what if the worst case scenario happens. And that's, I'm not diminishing that, but because it, it's helpful sometimes to, to think through, to have a plan for if something goes down, if, if, if something happens. Not just to, to bumble through life as I often do and just say, God will take care of it. And whatever, whatever I do, you know, God will fix it. Um, but to, to have a, a sense of there could be consequences for this, you know. If Abraham and Sarah had thought through what could go wrong with this Hagar thing. But turning those what ifs, what if something bad happens, can I still trust God? Into even if these terrible things happen, I'm still going to trust God. Even if the worst case scenario goes down, even if I made a, make a mistake, even if something terrible happens to my family, even if I die, I'm still going to trust God. Delay is not necessarily punishment. It just means we're not ready to receive that thing that God has promised us. And I just want to close with uh, David who knew about delay. Psalm 62. David says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, my soul, for God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God's a refuge for us. That was David's prayer. And I hope that's your prayer. Our salvation and our hope is not in our circumstances. It's in the promise. And it's not hidden by delay it's magnified by delay if we allow God to work in our lives. God delays in returning and bringing and, and Jesus coming back. And some days we wish that he didn't 
that he would just come back. But if he had come back 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 100 years ago, we wouldn't be saved. We wouldn't be with them in eternity. So God's delay in returning means that that's one more day that more souls can be added to the heavenly roles. Maybe today is that day for you. If, uh, if you've never trusted the Lord, I want to invite you to, uh, to talk to somebody about that, to make that decision or to f- figure out what that looks like. What does that mean to trust the Lord as my Savior? So in a moment, we're going to sing and uh, we're going to bow our heads. Uh, well, we're first going to bow our heads and pray and we're going to sing and uh, you'll have an opportunity if you want to come and, uh, and ask what it means to trust the Lord. We'll be up here. Uh, and if you, uh, if you do trust the Lord, but you have some doubts, uh, you have some fear, you have some insecurity, and God is not, God is silent. Maybe you just want somebody to pray with you. We'll be here for that too. So I invite you to, uh, to bow your heads and pray, and then we'll sing. Father, we thank you that you are a God who delights in glorifying yourself because in your glory, we receive blessing. We thank you for Abraham and his humanity that in his doubt, he made a decision that, uh, that we can say we're not the only ones who do stupid things. But God, you forgive and you remove that from us. As far as the east is from the west, you don't hold it against us. When you look at us, you don't see the sum of our bad decisions. You see the shed blood of Christ. So God, we claim this morning those promises, the promise of forgiveness, the promise of eternity, the promise of eternal life with you. And though you delay, Lord, we pray that we would trust you more and more every day, that we would learn to trust you, learn to believe you, and, uh, and learn not to lean on our own understanding. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather in your house with our brothers and sisters in Christ and to praise your name as we do now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.